Back to the Great Date Guy podcast. My name is Rob Wong, and with me today is the CEO of Vape Exhale, Hanu Labs, Burner Lab. He's a dad, a husband, psychonaut, and executive business coach. Please welcome Sabo Shen. Oh, thank you for having me on the show. And you know, one thing that I really loved about the intro, it had nothing to do with me. It had to, the, had to do with the way you pronounce your name, Rob Wong, which I know is the correct enunciation of it instead of Wang. For those that don't know, Wong means king in Chinese. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking to Rob King here, baby. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a breakthrough like a, like, a, I don't know, like a year ago where I realized that I could like influence how people pronounce my name and I just was unhappy being a Wang. So yeah, we're going with the... the <laughs> traditional pronunciation i'm very pleased with this but i feel like that kind of makes me like the 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 andrea or the andrea like the person who's always correcting how other people are pronouncing their shit <laughs> well my my, my wife's last name is also wang or wong so i've actually seen her correct so many people and you know what they actually love being more culturally educated you know so now that they know wang wong is all the same you know we're making them a little bit more I don't know, what do you call it? Uh, more cultured, more evolved, you know, able to use the right words um, with the right audience. That's true. Yeah, and speaking of an evolved, uh, I feel like that's a really nice segue into what we're just about to talk about. Yes. One of my favorite things to discuss, uh, we're talking about psychedelics and cannabis, y'all. Uh, and and not, not in the recreational sense, actually. And I suppose I, I don't want to like create too much around this because I want to leave room for you to like say what you want to say around this. But like, how do you how do you view these substances with regard to your life and how you use them? Yeah, you know, um, I would say when I first discovered them, I thought of them as really like a panacea that could take care of virtually any type of mental health issue um, in my life. Um, as I've been interacting with the plants and I've been watching more people interact with the plants. I still have a very healthy relationship with it, but I also realize that these things aren't quick fixes, um, that they will allow you to see a lot of the things that you are blind to, but a lot of the work has to be done outside of these psychedelic ceremonies. So the way it fits into my life is I typically go on one or two very intense, very purposeful journeys every year. And typically I do them with my wife, mainly because mm. I know that when I do them, I'm going to come out a different person. And I feel like when you do them with your loved ones, especially someone like your significant other, evolving together is extremely important. Otherwise, if you're doing a lot of this work and your partner isn't, it's going to be very hard for them to understand all of the different things that you're going through, all the different ways that you're leveling up, all the different, you know, spirits um, that you might be interacting with. And it would be hard for them to really kind of hold space for you or even empathize with you if they're not going through it with you. So we do them either once or twice a year, depending on what's going on. But mainly it's for us to really kind of shed any of the bad juju from the previous year and to find the things that we're going to focus on improving in ourselves this year. And for myself, um, this year's lesson was to really get rid of the last bit of imposter syndrome that is within mm. me. 
you know, and my key thing was, and I know I'm giving you this super long answer to a basic question is that (laughs) I used to think that people only followed me because I paid their paycheck or because they could get free vaporizers from me or because they knew I raised millions through investors. So if they knew me, you know, they could have access into my network. And that really kind of really messed with my head as far as thinking if I was a qualified CEO or not. Like, did I need to have all of these things, investors, giving away free stuff, you know, paying my employees paychecks in order for them to respect me? And what I've realized in these journeys is, no, I have all these things because people respect me. I have investors because respect me. I have employees because people respect me, not because of the other way around. Mm. You brought up a a couple of really awesome points. And I think the first one that I want to address is how, um, you know, through plant medicine, through psychedelics, you've come to grips with imposter syndrome and stepped outside of that. And I, I can personally relate to that. I think in being on psychedelics, one of the things that I noticed, like the background thought in my head is around like, am I being normal right now? Like, are people picking up on me being weird and if I look, I can see how that's like an influence on like every part of my life. There's always a part of me that wants to fit in and like, oh, am I doing something wrong right now? Am I in the way? Um, and having gone through that experience and being aware of it, it also gave me the opportunity to then like have conversations with people while I'm on psychedelics. And when I do that, I can see that I'm making a profound difference for them. Like people have like life-changing conversations with me and it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I think what matters actually in that moment is like whether or not I think what I'm up to is normal. And to, to, like, to the point I think you were making, it's, like, it's mostly about mindset. Like whether I believe that I'm a detriment and people think that I'm only useful because I'm giving them stuff, or whether I believe that I'm, I'm a badass who runs three businesses uh, and that's the like, and people hang out with me not because of that, but because I'm an amazing person. Those those become our reality. So I'm happy to hear about that. I think the other thing that came up was, and you mentioned that you you have these experiences with your wife, and I think with drugs, uh, particularly hallucinogens, there's like that. There's like a bit, a little bit of stigma there, right? Like, yeah. It's like I put a substance in my body and therefore it's impure. And I think we see that like for most of culture, like we want to stay away from substances. We want to stay away from those things because they're like dangerous or they'll like mess us up. So I think it's particularly pertinent to like talk about that, like you're a dad and you're a husband. Um, How did you manage to step outside of that? Like I imagine there was some resistance or something to process through in order to get there. Yeah, I mean, well, if you look at the empirical data and the toxicity of many of these entheogens, and I'm not talking about other harder drugs like cocaine or opiate-based drugs, but um, psychedelics like mushrooms, uh, peyote, ayahuasca, iboga, 5-MeO-DMT, things that are naturally occurring there, LD50, which is a lethal dose, um, it's like, it's always like in the pounds, you know, you have to take like pounds of this stuff, you know, so I, I knew from a physical toxicity perspective, like it's perfectly safe for my body. 
Now, where I was really worried about was just like everybody else is like, hey, if I take this thing, is it going to fry my mind or yeah. is it going to just change me so fundamentally that um, I'm not going to want to go back to my normal day job or different things like that? I mean, these are all things, especially as a father, you know, like it made me think like, oh, shit, if I take this, am I going to be able to take care of my kids more or you know will i be able to still take care of them at all i may come out of this thing like one of those crazy lunatics that i saw when i was younger but you know especially more recently when you started seeing like all these different documentaries on ayahuasca dmt or the johns hopkins university studies i mean there's just as much data to support that there is absolutely nothing um that could happen to you on these and theogens that, you know, would drastically change your life that way. Now, if you're someone that suffers from psychosis or already have a lot of mental health issues um, and you're on SSRIs or things of that nature, then um, that is definitely something that you'll want to look more deeply into. But for the vast majority of us, um, when you just look at the quantitative data of like what it does to your body and the efficacy of how um, or what percentage of people it actually helps. I mean, I, I felt very comfortable um, with taking these things. And what I was more concerned about was how much would I take away from these experiences versus, you know, what could happen during these experiences. But I could understand for anyone like my age or older, I'm 43, that, you know, growing up in the Ronald Reagan era and the, the war against drugs, like you would mm. definitely think, oh, why would I ever take drugs and jeopardize my companies, my kids, my relationship with my wife? But at this point, I think the data is showing why wouldn't you take psychedelics in order to improve your relationships with your kids, with your wife, with your professional career. And that's why I'm so adamant and so wanting to put myself out there and talk about these things. Cause I know that it's going to under the right set and setting and under the right contextual use, these are some of the most powerful tools that could change someone's psychological state almost immediately. Mm. Yeah. I love that your answer is based in science. It's very clear that you've done the research and you understand the ramifications and the impact of what each of these different substances can do and can't do. Um, I especially liked, I mean, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> Give me a second. Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, I especially liked your point about them being able to provide us perspective that's not readily available in day-to-day -day life. And I think it's really important in my personal experience to come at this with some kind of foundation in personal growth work. Um, it's, it's easy to have them recreational and be like, ah, like it's, like it's trippy. But I think the inherent value is when I begin looking at my thoughts, and I'm curious to see if you agree or disagree with this, but yeah. when I look at my thoughts um, in an altered state, it's almost like, like the, the difference between traveling to another country and then coming back home. I see that there are cultural differences. I see that the way that things have been done that have been normal for me traditionally, all of a sudden, maybe they're not normal. They're just another culture. And that allows me, it, when I'm on psychedelics, I have a similar experience. I can see, oh, my brain is doing weird stuff. But like, because it's so weird, I begin to notice and I see the thoughts and the patterns, the emotions that are, that are there that like limit me and influence the way that I see my life. And I think one of the most beautiful things about psychedelics 
is that like they create neurogenesis. It's one of the very few times in my life where my brain is making new neurons. It's making new connections and it's making connections in unusual ways. Um, so altogether, it's like this powerful place to be like examining and resetting my emotions, examining my life, my purpose. Um, yeah, I've had nothing but positive experiences on psychedelics. Yeah, oh, that was very interesting. I mean, I often use the analogy that people that have done psychedelics and people that have traveled to a lot of different places, like I could always tell them almost immediately when I meet them, you know, because they've seen a lot of different frameworks for how life could be lived. And I've often recommended if you don't have enough money to travel, you know, go get some psychedelics because it's <laughs> going to give you this, this new perspective on life. And the one thing that I've really found what really makes psychedelics effective is that, um, you know, it's very easy, or I don't want to say very easy, but you can intellectually understand something quite quickly. Like if you explain to me, hey, Sabo, you shouldn't care what other people think about you. Do you live your life the best way possible? And I'll be like, you're right, Rob. I shouldn't care about what other people think about me. And then when I go outside, someone says something about my shoes or my hair or whatever. And I get triggered by it, you know, like, uh, for example, I got a customer support email and it said, um, <laughs> this product sucks, customer service sucks. And then PS, I thought Sabo was a real one, you know, uh. and when I read that PS part, I was like, oh, Sabo's not real. I was like, so triggered by it. And that's when I realized, oh, wait, I definitely still care what other people think about me, despite me always saying, I don't care what people think about me. They would say whatever. Um, so what I believe is psychedelics allow you to kind of take one of those concepts that you intellectually understand and allow you to feel and embody that principle so that it's no longer just intellectual understanding, but it's a deeper connection to you so that the next time someone says, Sabo, you're not a real one. Maybe I still have that knee-jerk reaction, but at least I'm like, <laughs> kind of self-aware. Okay, Sabo, this is your knee-jerk reaction. It's one customer. You know, there's a bunch of other customers that are always saying, you're the realist one. So mm. why is the one guy that says you're not a real one really bothering you? And a good analogy that I heard someone say is that when you're a newborn baby, you're like a mountain that has a fresh powder of snow on top. And the skiers could ski anywhere they want to go on the mountain. But halfway through the day, you know, they start carving in like the, the paths that they've been on and you have moguls on the mountain. And yeah, you could fly over the moguls, but it's easier to ski within the grooves of the mogul. And if you kind of extrapolate this out to you being 15 years old, 20 years old, 30 years old, 50 years old, it's like people have been skiing on this mountain so long that more or less, instead of moguls, these are like bobsledding paths, you mm. know? So even, even though, you know, I'm not supposed to react this way, your body's just so conditioned to responding to certain stimuli with a certain reaction. And when you take psychedelics, you make it snow again. So mm. that those neural pathways, those connections that you used to have that were so strong, no longer have that same power. And you can now kind of consciously be aware like, hey, I'm going down that same path. Let me go down a different path. And that's where I really see like the power of psychedelics to help you not just intellectually understand that, but actually feel that principle within your core body. And then to kind of dump snow 
on top of your brain so that you're not always going down those paths that you typically go down in your life. Yo, yeah, this is this is such a great point. I need to jump in here because I, I remember reading a study and theorizing myself that like when I am on acid or mushrooms, it feels like my brain is kind of regressing. It's going back to an earlier age. It's ability to function, it's ability to think through things, uh, and just the amount that my emotions affect me, they're all different. They, it feels like I just have a younger brain. And then I found a research study that corroborates that. And I really like the analogy of the snow and the bobsledding, because that's also absolutely true. The more thoughts that we have that like kind of reinforce themselves, the same every single time I think that I'm not good enough, every single time that I go looking for evidence that I'm not good enough, that connection gets stronger and then harder to step outside. Um, I also like that you brought up the difference between like logical, like cogitation versus like emotional. Uh, logic is fast. I can always logically rationalize why I shouldn't be reactive when someone calls me an asshole or cuts me off on the road. Emotions are slow. After that happens, I might spend the next day being sort of upset or unsettled or angry or resentful. Um, so I think that that's a critical distinction. Like a lot of times, and, and you know this as a coach, a lot of times people come to coaching expecting like advice, but advice is, it operates along the lines of logic. I can take it, but I might not necessarily do anything with it. Emotions are where people make changes. That's when like, like that's why like when, when you have like a, a near-death experience, that's when the biggest life changes happen for people because that's a strong emotional push to have something different occur. Um, emotions are where everything happens and emotions are strong in hallucinogens or psychedelics. Um, yeah, I think that's the end. I'm curious if that's similar to your experience. Oh yeah, totally. And I would say as, you know, an Asian male growing up who thought stuffing down your emotions was absolutely the best thing to do, or not just the best thing to do, but it's like other people would look up to you for stuffing down your emotions and kind of <laughs> just be in this, you know, I could take care of anything, nothing bothers me, you know, and that's why when I first started doing psychedelics and started feeling these emotions, um, almost every trip was a bad trip because it was like I was feeling so many things. And even though the sensations, if I had to describe them, were probably positive because I was feeling so much, it was just overwhelming. You know, and what's very interesting about that, Rob, is that the more I try to contain the feeling of that emotion, like the stronger it, the medicine was trying to tell me, you got to feel this. And a lot of times it was trying to make me feel sadness or to feel anxiety or to feel a lot of the emotions that I would just always stuff down and replace with like, okay, like when my dog died and I started feeling sad, it's like, oh shit. Instead of thinking about my dog, I could put together a roadmap for next year at work. So I would start putting together next year's roadmap and then feel like really productive. And the story I would tell myself is, yeah, stuffing down those negative emotions was great because I replaced it by being productive. And then ultimately what I realized was when you stuff it down, it kind of comes up and like different places and times and usually like 
really bad times for like this thing to like show itself, you know, and for me, I could think of it mostly like when I would get mad or frustrated and I would stuff that down and just try to be like jovial or kind of happy go lucky is that I would usually explode on my wife or my kids, you know, people that weren't watching me on Facebook and seeing how I acted, but you know, the people closest to me, you know, which is kind of weird in that, like I would take it out on them because they are the people closest to me, but that's how I could see like how hiding and not dealing with my emotions would manifest itself in my relationships. And ultimately like why I love psychedelics so much, which is it helped me tap into not just more emotions, but also allowed me to better have a relationship with the negative emotions and you know my dad used to say you can't taste the sweet without the sour and what i realized was yeah it's like it's hard to be happy when you're just trying to be happy all the time mm. you know it's like it's like taking any other drug it's like all right well if it only took you one line of coke to get happy well next time you probably need two lines of coke to achieve that same level of happiness so what i started realizing was by running away from my negative emotions I needed to have like, okay, a seven figure exit made me happy. Now it needs to be an eight figure exit. Now it needs to be a nine figure exit. And what I realized was not feeling those negative emotions required me to hit higher peaks in order to feel the same level of like contentness and happiness. So once I started allowing myself to feel negative emotions, then like just waking up without like a sore lower back, you know, brings me joy. Hmm. Whereas before I would have to feel like, you know, Superman in my body to like feel joy. Now it's like, okay, I could wake up. And the fact that there is a lack of pain in my body, I could be grateful and joyous over that. That's a big deal. Like I, I've, I've never actually personally seen that insight. So I'm happy that you're bringing it to the table. Like I can see that when negative things happen to me, that generally they lead into positive things. I've, I've gotten the breakthrough where I can see that it's a cycle Um, And there's no really good or bad. It's just various points in that cycle. What I didn't see was how having the negative helps me appreciate what I actually have. And I think there's a lot of science behind that too. Like if I look at like habituation effects, like with any, any substance, it doesn't matter if like it's my body just naturally producing testosterone or if I'm just giving it like more vitamin D or something, or wait, no, that's not something the body naturally produces. But no matter what I give my body, it will automatically adjust to try to compensate, um, which is like why cirrhosis happens, right? Like your, your body is like, oh, we're getting a shitload of alcohol. Well, we better evolve so it doesn't kill us. So let me just throw some fat cells in your liver. Um, but the same thing happens for like stuff like happiness. Our threshold goes up and up and up. It's cool thinking that there's the ability to like hit that reset and like bring more joy and life to light or words, having a hard time with words today. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that kind of, I think that kind of goes hand in hand with like, I feel like the minute that I became more okay with my emotions, which happened to coincide with like, after the first time I did psychedelics, was also the minute that it felt like the floodgates were open. Like before that point, my life was just kind of like even keel, like things were just okay. They weren't fantastic. It also felt kind of hollow. But afterwards, it was just like sine wave, like all over the place. I get the highest highs and like the lowest lows. And it's almost like my brain was just trying to avoid that the entire time. But living this way, life feels, it's a lot richer, a lot more fulfilled. It's like the color has been dialed up. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to contextualize. Like if you're always depressed, it's hard for you to imagine what it feels like to get out of that depression. And if you're always riding a high, then you need more highs to maintain that high. It's like you said, with the habituation. And yeah, I mean, I've, I've totally, I mean, like you, before I did psychedelics, my whole purpose in life was to maintain an even keel, not too high, not too low. Let's just be at this solid like B level this whole time. You know, I don't want A's or F's, but if I could maintain a B, what a great way to live life. And it's interesting. It's, it's, it, I realized I was really just trying to run away from negative feelings, really, you know, like I would talk about it being like, this is like the consistency in my life. But in reality, it was the suppression of negative feelings. And, you know, it got to the point, like the reason why I, I the way I saw this play out was the first two cannabis cups we entered, we ended up winning. The third cannabis cup, we got second place. And in my mind, second place was an absolute failure because of the first two times that we entered. And I ran up to the judges. I was like, who paid you guys off? Of course, my product is way better. You know, I said a whole bunch of things that I'm super embarrassed to even regurgitate right now. But it is because I got so used to like PS4 graphics that like moving to a PS3 system just seemed so horrible. You know, second place compared to first place seemed so horrible that I couldn't even contextualize. Well, if I didn't place at all, second place would be fucking awesome, you know? And what's kind of interesting is there's a study um, in the Olympics that um, the silver medalist is actually the like the least happy person, but the <laughs> yeah. bronze medalist is like even happier than the gold medalist because contextually, by getting third place, he probably overexceeded his um, where he thought he would be, and then the first place person pretty much thought he was going to get first place, and the second place person also pretty much thought he or she was going to get first place. So in context, getting second was horrible. So yeah, I mean, if you don't feel the full gamut of emotions, I really think that you are cheating yourself from the full life experience. Hmm. What was, I, I feel some curiosity about like, what, what was it? What were you doing? What was the thing that came up that had you be like, oh, like emotions are important. Like when did that happen for you? Yeah, so I would say it was seven years ago. Uh, my daughter was three, and my wife and I were having some marital issues, mainly communication issues about her feelings versus my logic. And when we saw the therapist, you know, the therapist was at first was like, Sabo, you seem very emotionally evolved, you know, but after a few sessions, she started seeing that I wasn't emotionally evolved. I was just very perceptive of what was going on around me. And I knew how to answer questions in a way that would make her think that I was emotionally evolved. Mm. And I like to say, this is like the pickup artist style of like, of like being emotionally evolved, meaning you understand kind of like how this game works. You understand what girls like to hear. You understand what they don't like to hear. And you just run this, you run this strategy. It doesn't work on everyone, but it works on the vast majority of people. So it's good enough, but it's not really like, Hey, let's meet her 
at the same emotional place that she's at. It's more, okay, she's acting like this. How should I behave? Okay, this gives me the best probability of taking this to a next date. And ultimately, what really got me to change was that the therapist said, hey, Sabo, like, if you keep doing this, like, you might fool all the women at work, but don't you want to be more connected to your daughter? When you just answer her the way you think she wants to be heard, are you really connecting with her? And I was like, no. You know, she goes, when you watch TV shows with her, are you watching the show with her? Or are you just sitting next to her and she's watching the show? And I'm like, I'm just sitting next to her because I'm not into the show. And she's like, well, you should try getting into the show. Then when she asks you if you like the show, you could connect with her about what you guys saw versus just being a body next to her, not really engaging with her. And slowly by her having me, by her telling me these things, I started realizing like, okay, I was like a freaking sociopath before. I just knew how to act around people in the socially acceptable way, but I was never truly being empathetic. I was just giving them whatever I thought was the best advice when they asked me a question. And with my kids, I want to be fully there for them. And then so by practicing this with my daughters, the side benefit was being more emotionally available for my wife. Like that, that in our marriage, like improved so much as well, because, you know, when she met me, she knew I had aspirations of running a company. So whenever I would be kind of insecure about how the company was doing, I would never vocalize it to her. I'd be like, oh yeah, she married me because she thought I could take care of everything. And this resulted in me just being grumpy, like when stuff was going bad and not being able to communicate to her what my needs were. So yeah, seven years ago, I would say that that took me from being a emotional white belt to, I don't know what belt I am now, but to someone that's much better at it and someone that's actually feeling the feelings versus just acting like they feel the feelings, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I feel like a lot of resonance in what you're describing. For me, it was like, like I logically knew what to do, but I hadn't had any of the emotional experience to back it up. Like, kind of like I was trying to emulate someone who had gone through a lot of like growth and development work um, without understanding why I was doing those things. Mm. Like one of the things that came up, I remember was like, they used to teach you that you had to break rapport or be a jerk to women and then they'd be attracted to you. And what I didn't understand back then was that's actually false in a lot of ways. Um, I think what naturally happens is that like, as a result of me knowing what I'm about and what I like and don't like and being in touch with my emotions, I also can be like, confident in saying what those things are and because people are different eventually someone's going to have a different opinion than me and usually that's a break in rapport but if i am good enough at communication and i'm good enough at holding two different beliefs i can repair that relationship with someone and it's like if like two schoolboys get into a fight usually after that fight and those kids start getting along again like they, they have a conversation they're best friends and it's the same thing. Like it's easy to build connection with people that way, but just logically knowing what to do often, I think gives us a life 
at least it, for me, it gave me the lifestyle where I was just in reaction to other people. I was waiting for them to say something. So then I could like compute for a second and then I could like come out with the optimal reply, which yeah. was very rarely the actual optimal reply because then yeah, life was like a routine. It was very hollow. So I think I want to tie this back to psychedelics and cannabis, like through your, did you have anything that happened to you while you were going through your journeys on those substances that had you have any uh, breakthroughs or shifts in the way that you uh, began to process your emotions? Or do you think it was mostly based off of the therapy? Uh, no, you know, I mean, the therapist told me those things. I heard those things, but I didn't embody those things. You know, it was on like my next mushroom trip where, I mean, there was still a lot of resistance in my body. Like, you know, what does this lady know? Like, she's only known me for four weeks now. She's giving me all this like advice. Like, yeah, some of it sounds good, but some of it just sounds like whatever, you know, but it's interesting. It's like when you do psychedelics, it's like, it's not, let me just tell you. It's not, let me just show you. It's like, let me make you feel this experience, you know? So on um, the next psychedelic journey, you know, it was almost like um, the Christmas story where the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future came and visited me mm. and more or less showed me like, hey, this is your current behavior. You're fooling everyone on Facebook. You know, you look like a good dad. You look like a good husband, but you're not really emotionally there for your kids. And this is how it's going to play out. You know, and once it showed me like how it was going to play out, it wasn't necessarily that like my future was bleak. It was just that it was just that I knew that I was being a phony. I knew that I'm taking pictures of myself having dinner with my kids. Once the picture is done, I'm back answering work emails or whatever. It's not like I'm eating with my kids and being there for them. So the psychedelic journey really just, well, I'll tell you. So the ghost that visited me was actually me. Mm. And but the version of me that showed up was like a version of me that like just drank like 10 Red Bulls and also knew like all the different ways that I would use um, like verbal jujitsu to like turn shit around on someone and go on the offensive when I'm on the defensive, except this spirit of myself knew all these tricks. So when I tried doing it to him, like he was like, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to. <laughs> distract me. It's like, we're here to talk about you and your kids and your wife. And ultimately, like, we argued for what I felt like was ours, you mm. know. And then finally, I started realizing I can't argue this guy I'll argue him. He knows like, all of my tactics and all of my tricks. And even the ones that I don't know are tactics and tricks. He he knows what they are. And when I finally surrendered, and I was like, Yeah, you're right, dude, the way I present myself and the way I act, they aren't congruent, then immediately my bad trip turned into the best trip. He said, Sabo, I'll let you ask me any question and I'll give you a clear answer on it. And I asked him, what's the meaning of life? And right when he started answering, I go, wait, that is too basic of a question. What's the meaning of the universe? 
and he gave me the answer. Hmm. Kind of need to know what the answer is now. <laughs> what did you What did you take away from that? Okay, so he, she, or whoever I was talking to, the spirit didn't tell me anything, but just started playing a movie for me to watch. And at the beginning of the movie, I see something that appears to be the Big Bang. And in this explosion, I see like, it just looked like one of those fireworks that like spreads into like trillions of little kind of things out of it. And each of these little things goes into a conscious being. And then it shows me first, it's like a single cell amoeba, then a multicellular organism, then some like weird like fish thing. Then it's like some like salamander type, like half fish, half land animal type thing. And it just continually gets more and more complex until it gets to humans. When it gets to humans, it shows like what looks like a row of like a hundred different humans. I could see man, woman, black people, Asian people, Mexican people, Middle Eastern people. I see people that look gay. I see people that look straight. And basically what my mind is starting to understand is that everything up to a human is on a fixed firmware, meaning like us fixed instincts. So if you're like a bear or like a bee, it's like you just have to live that life once to understand what that life is like. When you get to human, you have sovereignty over your consciousness. So there's so many different ways that the human life could be lived out. So you have to live like this life like hundreds of times before you get the full human experience. And then there was like some other types of humanoid looking characters after us and then after that was like the gray aliens and when i got to the gray aliens he was like hey sabo you've been waiting to see me right and i was like yeah my whole life you know like i i've always loved aliens and he goes he goes i know you've been really watching your diet I know you've been really trying to control your emotions. I know you've been trying to meditate and really elevate your own consciousness. He goes, but there's plenty of time for that in this life. In this life, it's awesome. We're just artists. We're creating all sorts of things from our mind. But when we eat, we just draw energy from like the air. When we want to procreate, we could also mentally procreate. He's like, I miss eating chicken wings. I miss fucking. I miss even getting into fist fights. You know, he goes, you live in a physical world. Don't forget that. Do physical things. Don't worry. You're going to die anyways. Go eat that ice cream. You know, <laughs> go eat that fried chicken that I know that you love. And ultimately, so what I come to realize from my trip was that, and this, this is parallel to Alan Watts' teaching, which is he has this analogy that God gave himself amnesia and is relearning and re-experiencing the universe through each and every one of us and and that once we're done with this humanoid experience there's some other human-like experience after that and after that we become like the gray aliens and we get to live in this more like intellectually stimulating world where shit just happens when you're thinking versus us having to actually physically do things 
And yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's the answer, but it was like so clear and vivid in, in my mind. And it seems to make a lot of sense when I look at how people are interacting and even just like my own experiences in my life and what I'm learning and shit, it makes just as much sense as like the Adam and Eve story to me, if not more. So I was like, this is a pretty good answer. You know, like I walked away feeling like I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of taking risks in this lifetime. And even though my companies right now are doing better than ever, I'm willing to walk away from this stuff to do stuff that I really love doing. Mm. I think that like the takeaway especially is really hitting home for me in that like, if I, if I look at what my life consists of, mostly I'm hitting buttons on a device that shows me various pixels. And when the pixels do what I want them to do, it's a really good day. And when they don't, it's a bad day. Uh, and I have conversations with people. But that's so far removed from the physical reality of what we are. Like, I don't have to fight a bear to survive. Like, I've never farmed in my life. I, I've never had to hunt for food or do any of the things like build my own house or draw water from a well. And, and I, think, I think that what you brought up is really important. Like there's a reason why working with our hands is so fulfilling. There's a reason why when we go camping, it's like, it's a recreational experience. Like I believe that our brains are wired to like need those things. And when we live lifestyles where they're like just not available, where the, the biological parts of who we are are shameful, like crying is frowned upon, like you can't take a poop and like that's a problem, like farting is an issue. Burping is a problem. Nakedness is an issue. Like everything that makes this animal is like sort of stripped away in civilization. But we have an animal brain underneath like the sophisticated hardware that's developed over time. Um, and if those things aren't addressed, then there's really not much room to be happy. Uh, so that feels like a big, that feels like a big deal. Yeah. I mean, you know, like if you, if you look at the technology that we have and how convenient everything is, you know, I mean, at this point, like even Amazon Prime two day isn't quick enough for people. We need one day or same day or shit. We could even order, you know, McDonald's or Taco Bell from Grubhub or Uber Eats, right? And, you know, before these things used to take so much more effort to accumulate. And well, when I looked at the latest mental health studies, like depression and anxiety are at an all time high when, you look at the quality of living, or at least on the outside, the quality of living looks like everyone should be happier, you know, more, less people are starving, more people are dying from, from um, overeating than from starvation now, you know, and it's just kind of interesting that like, as life got easier, it seems like, you know, on the surface, um, people aren't happier. And I mean, even other studies of like the poorest countries like um, Nigeria or Kenya, you know, having extremely high satisfaction rates for their for their life, you know, far better than first world countries, you know, one has to ask himself, like, are we designed to, to be knowledge workers? Or are we designed to be like hunter gatherers and or farmers? And I tend to believe it's the latter. And that's mainly why, you know, my wife and I are looking to sell our homes and move out to a farm because I may have told you this, but it's my belief that we are the last 
generation of homo sapiens. After our generation, it's going to be something else, you know, like it's going to be some sort of cyborg and the people that scoff at this, like I just go, well, when you leave your house without your cell phone, do you just go to where you're going or do you go back and get your cell phone? They always go back and get your cell phone. So how is that any different than being a cyborg? This thing's just not implanted in you yet. It's just going to be a matter of a decade or two before this is implanted in us. So, you know, our days of having just 100% homo sapiens, this is absolutely the last generation and something I think we should celebrate. And that's why my wife and I, like I said, we ultimately decided we're not going to we're not going to have our biology or our firmware live in an operating system that isn't optimized for it. Let's take it to where it's optimized for, which is we evolved with nature in a certain way. And over the last 2000 years, our technology has allowed us to live a different way. But I would argue it's not congruent with the best way for us to live. Yeah, I think the fact that everything is so digital and so accessible leads to a sense of unreality. Like there's, there's not much fulfillment. Um, if I am online watching YouTube, cause I can, I can get all the information and experiences I want. I, I can get that virtually, but my brain isn't fulfilled by that, which is why it continues to watch and watch and watch. So I like the direction that you're headed with that. It's bringing up a lot for me though. Like that feels like a pretty cool decision to make in life. I mean, I, I was born in the Silicon Valley or not in the Silicon Valley. I was born in Japan, but, you know, um, I moved to San Jose when we were seven. So more or less, I grew up in the Silicon Valley, you know, so I've always been this huge proponent of technology. You could ask my wife, I hate hiking. I hate camping. I hate getting dirt in my fingers. But over the last few years, especially having my kids, taking them camping and seeing how much they love running around in the dirt and how they never think about reaching for an iPad or a screen like while we're out in nature, whether it's at the beach, um, camping, um, snowboarding, whatever, you know, and I see how much they come alive um, when they're in that environment versus what type of zombies they turn into when they have screens in front of them. And it's very easy for me to see that even though I still have some resistance to it, um, this is the right way to live. And ultimately what I've been doing is just more gardening, uh, more physical labor. Uh, like we told our cleaners, like no more every week, every other week, which I know sounds privileged as fuck still. But, <laughs> you know, that means that's an extra week. I need to keep, keep the place clean. Right. And I'm finding way more joy and fulfillment doing all of these things by myself. When I used to outsource our gardening, when I used to outsource our cleaning, when I used to outsource everything. And I used to think that, well, I have a very good brain for generating revenue. If I make X amount an hour, why would I ever fix the sink? Why would I ever, you know, check on the electrical box when these guys make less per hour than I do. And what I realized was I was cheating myself out of all of those fulfilling feelings, you know, and that's why I'm doing everything manually now. And even though my wife said we're moving to a farm and I was like, I can't live on a farm. I'm <laughs> like, yeah, I could live on a farm now. Like I'm going to like change 
fundamentally as a person by doing more of this work. And, you know, even when I was younger, I was very much like Tom Sawyer, you know, like if I was going to get paid something, I'd just go find some other guys and pay them less, do no work, and then, you know, profit on the margins of whatever the delta was between what I was getting paid and what I would pay the other person, which I think kind of made me a pretty good CEO. But at the same time, you know, um, kept me from all these fulfilling things of like mowing the lawn or every other type of chore that kids would have to do when they were growing up. I feel like the connection that I'm beginning to form here too is seeing how in quarantine, this is the most that I've ever wanted to go camping or be outdoors. Like I, I consider myself to be like an apex introvert. Like I, I will go like months without seeing people and it'll be okay. But this, this is like the most drawn to nature that I've ever been. And I see the same sort of things happening for friends. People who are learning to cope with quarantine are taking on like old world skills, like learning to bake bread or gardening, like you were saying, or doing housework. Um, so I think that there's something there. Like, it's also no accident that like in the time that we're being forced to be in front of screens more than ever before, like this is the most Zoom calls I've had in a single day. Uh, there are also higher levels of like depression and suicide because I think we're sort of forcibly being deprived of the things that really make a difference for us. So I'm glad that the conversation wound up in this direction. And I'm seeing that we've, we've kind of hit the hour point. So I, I want to turn the conversation back to like kind of wrapping it up and bringing it back to psychedelics and substances. Um, I suppose if you wanted the people listening or the person listening right now to walk away with like one thing, um, about psychedelics or about expanding their experiences through other substances, plant medicines, what would you want them to, to know or take away? Yeah, so I, I think it's a handful of things and I'll try to keep it brief. You know, one of them, and I think the most important is your intention as well as set and setting. So you have to have the right mindset going into it and be in the right environment. The second thing is if this podcast has piqued your curiosity, but you still have some hesitation, but you want to learn more, I would go pick up Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind. Michael Pollan is probably the most decorated author to talk about this subject. And um, I think that for a lot of people that need some validity in order to allow themselves to explore this area, uh, Michael Pollan's book is a great place to start. And the third thing is, if this is interesting to you, um, I would very much also start just, you know, watching different documentaries, learn the upside and the downsides of psychedelics. You know, they're not a placebo, but they're not a panacea either. You're going to see really great gains. And ultimately, you know, your mindset going in to your first psychedelic journey will be 100% correlated to how much you get out of it. And I liken it to taking psychedelics, I used to say is like surfing. Um, you know, like you don't wanna surf without having surfing lessons. Sure, you can paddle out there and maybe catch a wave, but most of the times you're just going to be trying to get up on the board and the wave just knocks you down. Um, I've actually liked the, this other analogy, like doing psychedelics is like an MMA fight. Would you ever 
fight another MMA fighter without training? <laughs> no, you're just going to get your ass kicked. You know, like you may one out of a hundred, maybe land a lucky punch and end up winning that match and have a good time. But you really need to approach these things like you're training for something that's super important for you. You know, like myself, before we did our journeys, I would eat a certain diet for three to four weeks, you know, really take care of my body. Um, and I believe that approaching these things like they are one of the most transformative events of your life will allow you to have a transformative event. If you just kind of go into it willy nilly thinking, okay, well, Rob and Sabo were talking about it. My friend always has access to mushrooms. Let me just go eat a couple and see what happens. Um, you know, you still may have a good experience. I mean, I did when I was younger, but the types of experiences that I get now where I'm tapping into what I believe is a source of consciousness. And here's another thing that may sound a little bit crazy, but the last time my wife and I, we did a pretty large dose. This was maybe five or six weeks ago. Um, I got connected to some entity that I could connect to during meditations now. And when I do meditations over 45 minutes, I typically get a visit from this entity. And this entity just tells me what I need to do with my life. And it's more or less started off my coaching career, not just my coaching career, but the entity said, hey, these are the Facebook groups where you go find your first clients. This is how you market yourself. And I just listened. And here I am as a coach with only three or four weeks of marketing. And I have too many leads to work through right now. And the only thing that I can attribute it to that I'm doing differently are these 90 minute meditations that I do every day where I get a chance to connect with source. And that's when it becomes not just a unilateral thing, but a bilateral thing where I'm projecting and manifesting what I want and I'm getting a return message um, in return without any psychedelics. So I know that these levels of consciousness are now achievable without psychedelics, but there would have been no way that I got to this level without experiencing psychedelics first. Mm. Yeah, that's all killer. Um, I like the last bit, especially what that brings to mind is something that I, I roll around in my head. And I think that psychedelics like open up the door. They show us what's possible. Um, in a lot of ways, when I'm on psychedelics, I can see myself as my best and as my worst. So I know what's available to me, what my full range of expression is. Because when I'm on acid, that's probably the most certain, the most confident, the most in action that I ever am. Like I'll get done in a day what would normally take me about a week. And I'll be doing it in a really powerful, convincing way. Um, the other point that you brought up that I, I thought was interesting, and I've never actually experienced this, but I hear this consistently from people who do um, a lot of inner work. Um, is that that entity? Um, at first, I thought that it was like intuition. Oh, Sable's just tapping into his intuition, but it's different. Um, from the way that I've heard it described, it's a being, it's a personality that you can connect to that has answers. It's not just like, 
like, oh, I have a gut feeling to go do this thing. It has specifics about what's coming next and what you should be doing. And when you follow through on those things, you usually end up getting what you need to get, uh, which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, I love that you brought up intuition because for a while I just thought, oh, my intuition is like really, really strong right now. Then I realized I was like, wait, this is my intuition's voice. And this other thing is not even coming from me. You know, it's this, it's like my intuition's big brother, where if I'm like, kind of like only 75% believing my intuition, this other entity comes along. It's like, dude, your intuition's right. Fucking listen to it. Go do it. And Mm -hmm. actually, man, (laughs) this is the interesting part is so at the end of this mushroom trip, um, and this was actually the, the last eradication of any imposter syndrome that I have is that I did a DMT ceremony at the end of it. The spirits were like, now you know you're not an imposter. Go share this with the world. And I was like, yes. And then I took another DMT hit because I still had some imposter syndrome doubts. I, I went back and it was like, hey, why are you back here? I thought I just told you what you need to do. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I just, you know, I still had a little bit of doubt. And then when I came out of that one, I, I told my wife, I was like, man, it kind of just told me the same thing. So I go, I'm going to go one more time. So I did it one more time. And the last time the guy goes, what the fuck are you doing here, Sabo? I told you to fucking go share this with the world. You keep coming back here. If you come back too soon, I'm going to make this real uncomfortable for you. And I just had this really like bad trip for like the next five or six minutes. And then I came out and I was like, all right, to my wife. I was like, I know what I need to do. There's no more imposter in me. If there is an imposter in me, I'm more scared of that spirit than I am of the imposter. So I'm good to go. Oh, that's wild. Uh, yeah. I've never done DMT, but I feel like that's, that's its all, a whole other conversation. Um, I, I, think, I think this is probably a good cutoff point. I would love to have you on again, but um, as we're beginning to wrap up, if people are looking for ways to support you or like to get to know you a little bit more, how would they, how would they get in contact with you or support what you're up to? Yeah, so um, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, it's all at Sabo Shen, S-E-I-B-O-S-H-E-N. My coaching website is sabonows.com, S-E-I-B-O-K-N-O-W-S.com. And if you're interested in smoking DMT through one of the devices I created, there's vapexhale.com, which is the big boy if you really want to go deep, uh, shatter through the ninth dimension. And then burnerlab.com, if you just want like to get into the Milky Way or the Andromeda, you could use one of our vape pens. So either of those devices works really well with DMT, allegedly is what I heard. Um, yeah, so <laughs> that's how you could support and find me. All right, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for being on. I got a lot out of our conversation, still processing the bit about the other entity there, but like it's, it's happened so consistently with the other people that I've had discussions with that I suppose it must exist and, uh, yeah, going to keep looking. Yeah. You know, and you know, what's interesting is, and you could end this podcast whenever and we could keep talking, but yeah, I mean, if it was anyone else other than myself, I mean, even my my sister has told me she spoke to entities and I, I more or less dismissed it like 
like you said, you know, like, ah, she's just listening to her intuition or there's something else that she's tapping into that she's mistakening for another entity. But having experienced it myself, you know, like it did, there was a part of me that thought, dude, am I bipolar? Because this extra voice definitely is not my voice. Mm. But this voice is friendly. It seems to know tons of shit. And it's given me like crazy good advice. So despite me knowing that vocalizing this could have like discredited like the first 50 minutes of whatever I said on this podcast, (laughs) where they're like, this guy speaks to spirits in his mind now when he meditates. You know, it's that once you're touched with that, you start understanding, oh shit, like all this like woo woo stuff that you heard from other people they actually might be experiencing that. And a lot of these people that are in this space, you know, they tend to not have professional backgrounds and, you know, are doing like crystal healing or some other thing that's also easy to discredit. So I think it's almost my job as a white collar professional to be like, yeah, that shit's happening to me too, because I know it's much harder to discredit someone that, has a resume like I do. Yeah, I think this is a really good time to like bring it back to how Sabo is someone who's brought multiple companies up to a successful exit, which is kind of unprecedented. Many of them in the seven or higher figure realm, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh yeah, all all at least nine figures. 161 million was the smallest and 3.4 billion was the largest. Yeah, so if there's a guy that's got his feet like rooted firmly in what it takes to be successful and to be skeptical of what other people are saying, it's this dude. And this is his experience. So yeah, something to mull over. And it's he's not just some crazy person we found. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you this. I'm one of many at Burning Man that have a track record like myself that think like myself too. You know, and I think this is maybe like one of the largest selling points is all of these billionaires, multimillionaires in Silicon Valley that thought that their dream in life was to have a successful exit, but found out that life isn't complete, completed by a successful exit. Why do you think it's all tech bros at Burning Man? Because they're looking for fulfillment in their life. And they heard through some other guy like me that if you do ayahuasca or mushrooms, like you'll find this contentness, this fulfillment. And I know some other guys think like, oh, if I take this, they're going to tell me the next billion dollar idea like Uber or Amazon. But I think they're kind of slightly misled and thinking that's what will happen. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, you will change your life by trying these things. And don't just listen to me. Just look at, you know, all the tech CEOs that you admire that fly into the playa and enjoy Burning Man once a year. Yeah, this is especially near and dear to me because I was I was at a point where I could like retire for like 20 years in my 20s. And like it would have been fine, like I would have been able to live comfortably. But it was undeniable that I was also suicidally depressed. Like success and happiness are so totally removed once the basic needs are accounted for. Um, yeah, that like this is this is a very real need. Like I think I remember reading somewhere that like billionaires are disproportionately depressed because at that point in the game and what we're up to is a game. 
there are no stakes. There's no meaningful progression. And you begin to see like, okay, like this is something we built for ourselves. This is a little game that we play for ourselves that has no meaning or purpose whatsoever. Once I have a billion dollars, I can buy whatever I want. And that removes the fun from everything. Like it kind of goes back to like how you're like, well, I fired my cleaner. So she comes by every, like once every other week, all the stuff that we took on as chores or things that are like, oh, this is an inconvenience. It's kind of where the juice is. And sometimes it takes something like psychedelics or a push in that direction to really begin to appreciate that. Yep. From city boy to farm boy appreciation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this has been epic, dude. Uh, I really liked that we had like a second win there. I think that added a lot of value. And uh, I guess that's basically it. Anything you want to say to wrap up? No, man. uh, Thank you for having me on the show. You know, I really like the direction of like what I've seen you put out lately. And it's really interesting stuff. So thank you very much for thinking of me and allowing me to, to take up some time on your show today. Yeah, anytime, dude. Love you the bits, and I will catch you probably within, like, just right after we finish recording. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, awesome. All right, peace. Thanks for listening, y'all. And you can catch us next Thursday, 8 a.m. Pacific time, for another sexy, sexy, kinky interview. Well, this one wasn't kinky, but I think the next one might be. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we'll get into the gray alien sex um, that they were telling me about in the future. (laughs) 